This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Let's pray, and then uh, after we pray, we will uh, jump in here. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us, God. Again, just a time of reflection where we are amazed by your rescue of us, by your shining your light in our darkness to teach us of yourself and your mercy and your, your grace. You are a glorious God, and uh, we just thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for drawing us together today as Grace Church and friends and family as well, and we just pray that you would speak to us, God. We pray that if any of us are sort of in somewhat of a holiday stupor, that you would arrest our hearts and cause us to be alert in our souls this morning to what you're saying to us through your scripture. We pray that you would, Lord, speak clearly to us, for we need to hear from you today. We want to hear from you today and ask that you would address us graciously, mercifully through your word. Fill me with your spirit and give us all ears to hear what you're saying to your church today through the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever notice in your life how sometimes, oftentimes, uh, after a big event, you sort of have the blahs or um, you're sort of numb or sort of out of it a little bit? You know, there's a little bit of a letdown sometimes after a big event is over. I mean, that can certainly be true with Christmas. I didn't know what to anticipate today because probably I've preached, I'm sure I have, the day after Christmas, but I don't ever remember doing so. So I'm very well aware what the Sunday after Thanksgiving is always like um, because I do that every year. But I'm not, I just didn't even know what to expect today, where I'd be in my soul, where we would all be, kind of what frame of mind we're in coming in today. But I think it's possible that some of us are sort of on the post-Christmas, a little bit of a letdown. I mean, because what can happen is we can really, really gear up for an event. We plan, we shop. Uh, some of us travel. Some of you are here because you traveled. This isn't your normal place. We wrap. Uh, we cook. Uh, we have all of this planning and expectation, and it leads up to yesterday. And now it's the day after yesterday, also known as today. But it's the day after sort of the big event. The big event comes and goes, and then what? Well, we just sort of got a bag full of ripped paper and... Uh, what's left of the turkey or whatever it is, but it's just, it all comes so quickly to an end the day after. And the same is true of our handling, I was thinking, not only the festivities, but the same is true with our handling of the Christmas story. For weeks, we lead up to December 25th. For weeks, we lead up to that, and we're reading the Christmas story. Maybe you've read it to your family. Maybe you did an Advent a uh, little wreath and candle thing with your family where you look forward to Christ coming. You did an Advent calendar where we're counting down the days, and perhaps you did one of those Advent calendars that has the characters of the Christmas story in it. So we got the shepherds and the magi and a Herod and all these kinds of things. And so we're just leading up to Christmas Day where we 
stick baby Jesus on the calendar or, or whatever, it, you know, however, or open the door and see baby, there he is uh, on the calendar. We anticipate his coming. We sing songs that we usually only sing once a year, usually about there's a one-month window of time where we sing these various songs that are true year-round. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's valid every day of the year. But we sing it just during this window. So there is the reading of the story. There is thought of the incarnation, which means God becoming flesh, God becoming a man. So there's thoughts of the incarnation, more thoughts in four weeks by far than most of us will ever think the other 11 months of the year. And so there's meditation on the incarnation, there's getting ready for his birth, we're singing songs, we're getting the choir together, we're putting on the Christmas production, and, and we're thinking about Christ and his coming, and then here we are, December 26th. And we sort of just pack all of that up, all of that Christmas story, all of that Luke 2, the Matthew passage, John 1, we just sort of pack all of that up and sort of take it in a box and stick it up in the attic until next Thanksgiving where we get the box down again and then we open up this incarnation meditation and all of these songs. We, we sort of treat the message of Christmas just like we treat the festivities of Christmas and here we are today and it's sort of all over. So today I want to ask the question, how do we respond once the gifts are all opened and the feast has been had? Uh, what do we do the day after? I'm going to talk a little bit about a, the theology of the day after Christmas. And I want to look at, to do so, I want to look at what happens immediately after Christ's birth. So what happens the day after in the Bible, or the days after? What happens after <coughs> Christ is born? Because I think there's something here for us. After this universe-changing event, what happens? Because there's some immediate responses that I think are instructive uh, for us today. Let, let's review very briefly. Let's break the tradition and let's talk about the coming of Jesus after December 25th. So I'm talking outside of the envelope of Thanksgiving Day to December 25th. I'm going to boldly talk about the coming of Jesus Christ and just trample all traditions. I'm sure this is a faux pas, but, uh, but I think it's most appropriate because it's truth forever. Of course, Mary is pregnant. Remember the story out of Luke 2? Mary is pregnant, and she and the man she's betrothed to be married to, Joseph, they have traveled uh, from their home, and they have traveled to Bethlehem. And the reason is, is because a census is taking place, and they don't mail you something, they don't knock on your door. You rather have to travel to sort of the, your forefathers, your family, hometown, whichever tribe you're from. They're from the tribe of, uh, they're from a descendants of David, the city of David. Uh, not the tribe of David, Judah, but the city of David. And so they return to the city of David, Bethlehem, and they are there to register. And what happens is when they get there, they make the trip to register. Mary, uh, it's that time. <clears throat> and so she goes into labor. And the city is crowded at this time. Many people have gathered there because everybody who's uh, related has uh, come there to register in this city for the census. And so because there's so many people there, there's no place for her to stay. The inn, is there's an inn there, probably multiple inns there, but the inn is full, and there's no place for her to stay. So they, they evidently communicate to uh, Joseph and Mary. We don't know who communicates. There's no innkeeper in the Bible. I hate to uh, trash that tradition, but uh, there's no innkeeper in the Bible. We just know there's no room in the inn. 
And uh, so someone communicates to them there's no room, but there is space out where the animals live, where the animals graze. And so they go out there. It could have been a barn. Uh, it could have been some kind, it was some kind of a shelter. It could have been a cave. Some people put their animals in, in caves, a stable, something. But they go out, and she gives birth, and then she uh, lays the baby Jesus, her child, uh, in a feeding trough. That's a manger. So she places him in a manger. So that's kind of the, what we get at the beginning of Luke 2, this story of Jesus being born. And then the second part of Luke 2, what we get is the announcement of his birth. And so there are some shepherds nearby in the fields at night watching their sheep, and uh, an angel appears to these shepherds, and the angel uh, instantly is aware that they are fearful, they're covered with the light of God, the glory of God is revealed to them, and they're very afraid of this. And so the angel communicates, do not be afraid because I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all people, that for unto you today, for unto you a, uh, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. Savior, the one who has come to rescue you from your sins, he's born today, nearby. He's Christ, that Christ means the Messiah. He's the one who's going to come and deliver us as a Messiah. He's the Lord, Christ the Lord. He's the king, so he's the ruler, he's the one who's going to deliver us, he's the one who comes and saves us and rescues us from our sins, and he's born today, and here's how you'll find him, very distinctive, he won't be glowing, I mean there'll be nothing like that that would be a distinction, he won't have a crown on his head, he won't have royal robes or something like that, he won't be in a palace, but the way you'll know him is he'll be the baby that's lying in a feeding trough, so that narrows the search, the shepherds can go into um, Bethlehem, and just find where all the animals are staying. You don't have to knock on doors. You just have to find the animals. And you find the animals, find the feeding troughs. And when you find a baby, that's the baby. So they uh, go off. They go and see this thing that they've been told. So that's kind of the second part of the story. So the first part is the historical narrative that I just told you, mentioned about them traveling for the census. The second part of the story, which we often emphasize as well, uh, very appropriately, is the announcement of who Jesus is. The third part of the story is the one we often don't read as much, but it's beginning in verse 15 of chapter 2, and this is what we read. When the angels went away from them into heaven, so the angels have just announced uh, his coming and they're worshiping God. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it has been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So that's what happens, the, the revelation of the baby and what happens after the baby's birth. I mean, a number of other things happen as we go on. He's dedicated, presented at the temple, etc. As, as he gets older. 
But the shepherds go in search of what they had been told. So they have the announcement, which we're very well aware of, and then they go in search. Verse 16 says that they make haste, they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So they, they identify the child, and then, verse 17, when they saw it, saw what? Well, saw the scene that had been described to them. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So once they found what had, the angels had told them, what the angel had told them, once they saw it, when they saw it, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they come and they say, listen what we heard about this baby. Listen to what these, these beings in the sky came and spoke to us. And there was light everywhere. We were scared to death. And then this angel, this is what they told us. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, just like this baby, lying in a manger, just like, I mean, how many babies are in a feeding trough? This must be the baby that they told us about. And then the, all of these angels appeared on the hillside or standing near us or in the sky, and they all are praising God. And, and so we're told to come find, and we want to come find you and tell you about this. And so they announced this to Mary and Joseph, and perhaps there were others there as well. And they, they tell them that, that this is the one. We can identify him by his bed and by his clothing. We can identify that this is the one. And so they come announcing this. Now, what is interesting is that there's two responses here. There's, there's three responses. There's the people that hear the message. There's Mary, and there's the shepherds. And I want to look at each of these. First of all, Mary's response is that of treasuring. She treasures this. That's kind of the first response. Treasuring. Look what it says about Mary. Verse 18. And all who heard it, this story that they told, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So there's the Christmas event, the birth of Christ. There's the confirming announcement report from the shepherds. And then Mary's response, the, the day of, the day after, and, and in an ongoing way. I mean, the verb here indicates continuous action. That in an ongoing way, Mary is treasuring up in her heart what has been told her. And she's contrasted with everyone else. It says, verse 18, and all who heard it wondered. Now, who are the all? Were the shepherds just, maybe they did go door to door. You know, I was just speculating when I said they just found the animals. Maybe they did knock on some doors and tell some people. Maybe they, uh, maybe they asked some passers-by, hey, have you seen any, you know, have you been with the animals? Have you seen any babies? Uh, was there any babies born tonight? Did you hear any lady that sounded like she was in childbirth? Can you point me that direction, you know? Um, so maybe they did, but it's very possible that someone was there with them at this point. Because all that heard this wondered, they're addressing Mary and Joseph. They find Mary and Joseph the baby. So maybe there was somebody else. We don't know. But some people heard about this and they wondered. It didn't say, Luke doesn't say they believed. He said they wondered. They wondered about it. That's fascinating. That's interesting. Hmm, I wonder what that's all about. I wonder if that's true. If it is true, I wonder what it means. And that's a very common way people relate at this time of the year. I wonder about all of that. Jesus is born. People are making a big deal about that. I wonder what that means. So there is a wondering response, but Mary's response is much deeper. It says, verse 18, Luke writes, I'm sorry, verse 19, Mary treasured up 
all these things. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Well, what, what were the things she treasured up? Well, evidently she treasured up the announcement that was made. Because the announcement that was made by the angels that are transferred to the shepherds that then come and share it with Mary are a confirming word to her. And angels already appeared to Mary and to Joseph, Gabriel, and has communicated, you're going to have a child, he's going to be Jesus, name him Jesus, he's going to save his people from their sins. And now, out of the blue, some shepherds come in from the field and say, hey, here's what we found out about this baby. This baby is the Savior. This baby is Christ the Lord. How do we know? Well, some angels told us. So they come and bring this very confirming word to Mary. Because even though she had an angelic experience, she's human, as is Joseph. And I'm, I'm sure you couldn't help but wonder, it seems like a normal baby. Is he really, really going to save people from their sins? Is he really the king? Is he really the anticipated Messiah in the line of David? Is he really that kind of a... A person? We're out here in the stable. Is that really who I'm holding? And then these angels come and bring this message, and she treasures up this saying. She treasures up that she hears there is good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for today a Savior is born. Those are gospel words. Gospel means good news. And the angel says, I bring you good news. The same words translated gospel elsewhere. I bring you the gospel that today a Savior is born. This is the good news. A Savior is born who will ultimately die and give his life for sinners and rise from the dead. So she hears the gospel words from the shepherds that the Savior is born, that it's her son that she's holding right there, and she treasures those words. She values those words. She keeps those words. What do you, when you treasure something, you protect it. You value it. You think about it. You hold on to it. It's meaningful to you. It's something you keep. It's a keepsake. It's something that's personally valuable to you. A treasure. And this truth about Jesus, it rings in her soul. And it is something that she holds on to what had been spoken to her. She holds on to that gospel word. She holds on to it by faith. <clears throat> it's an ongoing, this idea of treasure, it's an ongoing reflection. It's an ongoing meditation. It, he goes on to say, she ponders these in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This, this word pondering means like mulling over. All, to some degree, trying to figure everything out, trying to piece it together. So she receives by faith and treasures this announcement that she treasures this gospel message that Jesus is the Messiah. She treasures him. She treasures this truth about him, but she also mulls it over. She considers it. She thinks about it. How does this all work out? What does this all really mean? So she kicks those things around in her mind. She's understanding, trying to understand. I mean, we're reading this years later. We've heard it so many times. It just seems like a story we're familiar with. But in her shoes, I mean, this is unbelievable. She as a virgin has given birth to the Savior of the world. That gospel proclamation that she hears for us as well is to lead us to thought. The truth that the Savior has come is not something to celebrate yesterday and then let's move on and we'll get back. Let's get to our New Year's resolutions and then we'll get back to this next Thanksgiving time. 
or when the store decorations go up in July, whatever it is. We'll get back to it at that point. But right now, we're moving on. We've got a year to conquer. 2011 is here. But Mary takes this message. She treasures. She meditates. She cogitates. She thinks. She considers this. See, the gospel is meant to occupy our hearts. The gospel announcement is meant to be treasured in our soul. The news that the Savior has come and that he has brought salvation through his life, death, and resurrection, that's not just supposed to mean something to us at Christmas. That's not just supposed to mean something to us at Easter. That's not just supposed to mean something to us Sunday when we sing the songs and hear the sermons. That's not just supposed to mean something to us at community group during the middle of the week where we talk about the gospel again. That's supposed to be something that's treasured in our heart. Jesus comes as Savior to rescue us. And that must never grow familiar. That must never grow old. We must never grow accustomed to that. But this idea of treasuring, keeping, valuing. Paul tells Timothy, guard the deposit of, and he's speaking of the gospel, guard the gospel, guard the deposit of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. May that be valued, treasured, protected, pondered, mulled over, considered, not once a year, not Sundays, but all the time. We are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, our mind, and our strength. To ponder something in her heart is to think about it. To think about it with one, to love God with our heart, to love God with our mind. I mean, the reality is, especially in the part of the world we live in here, the reality is there are countless, countless people, and maybe some of us in the church are this way, in this church, maybe some of us this morning this way. There's countless people that are professing Christians, yet our minds engage with the truth of Jesus and the gospel only on Sundays only occasionally when we have our quiet time uh, or only when we're in real trouble and have a significant need. Then we're drawn to him when we see our need. But the reality is we're in need all the time. And the gospel is, is, is not to be stored on the shelf. The gospel isn't something you hang on your closet and put it on like your Sunday best to come to church. The gospel is the living truth that is to be treasured at all times. Listen, the Christmas message has a shelf life for Mary, because she continues treasuring this, she continues pondering these words in her heart. Well, of course she does. She's watching Jesus grow up. Of course she's treasuring it. God incarnates in the house, literally with her. Yeah, but she doesn't just treasure the fact that Jesus is her son. What she treasures is the announcement that the shepherds bring to her, which is the same announcement we've received. We're no different than Mary in that way. None of us are raising the Savior. I get that. And you say, yeah, you know my kids. It's not even close. But um, I'm just kidding. Uh, none of us are raise, raising the Savior. However, what she ponders is that unto you today a Savior has been born. A Savior for her. A Savior for us. Jesus is no less a Savior to us than he is to her. And the reality is that we have it better than she does when it comes to treasuring the truth of the Savior. Here's what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He said, it's better for you, disciples, I'm with you all the time, I'm fellowshipping with you, I'm teaching you, I'm perfect, you're walking with perfect God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Bringing miracles, teaching the word to them, 
it's better for you that I go away. How can that be? Not be with Jesus? It's better because if I go away, I'll send the helper. I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll dwell in you. And this is what Jesus says. He'll lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will come when I'm gone and will live. The very presence of God will live in you as a Christian. And he's going to lead you into truth. What does that mean? Pondering Jesus. What is the Spirit leading us into all truth? Opening the Scripture to our understanding and our minds so that we treasure the truth of Scripture. That's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Mary would not have had at this point because the Spirit had not been poured out in the way that he was poured out at the day of Pentecost. We would have had the Spirit with us in a way that Mary wouldn't have. That Jesus could say to the disciples, it's better that I'm gone for you. And so it's not just that it's because she has Jesus that she treasures this message. It's not just because she's holding baby Jesus that she's pondering. It's because he's the Savior. And that Savior has now given us the Spirit to ponder his truth as well. Not just to wonder, but to treasure and to ponder. In 2011, we as a church are going to look very closely for an extended period of time at this Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to walk through the Gospel of John passage by passage and we are going to meditate on Jesus because um, well because there's nothing greater no one greater to meditate on and nothing is more life-changing than a consistent persistent treasuring of Jesus Christ and meditation and study of him so we're going to do that in 2011 and you may want to start reading ahead right now you can start reading, we'll, we'll start in a few weeks, but you may start reading the Gospel of John right now. It's a pretty, it's not a really long read. You could read it in a setting, in a sitting, in a sitting, in a setting. Well, pick a setting, have a sitting, and read the Gospel of John. <laughs> I think that's how we say it. He's setting over there. That's how we say it in Texas anyway. Set down over here. But anyway, you find a sitting uh, in a setting, and you read the Gospel of John, or in a couple of times. This whole idea of treasuring Jesus in our heart, you know, that, that comes from meditating on Scripture. And so this is the time of year when many of us are thinking ahead to reading the Scripture. 2011 is the year I'm going to read the Bible, right? So this is a great time. Maybe you have some, I would really encourage you in this, maybe you have some downtime between now and, um, what's New Year's Day, next Saturday? Between now and next Saturday, maybe you have some downtime. Maybe you don't, but you could carve out some downtime. And just think through and pray, Lord, what would you have me to do with regard to your scripture in 2011? How should I read? What plan should I be on? What study should I be on in the coming year? So that I would be one who's treasuring and pondering the scripture. So that I'm not just checking it out Sunday morning and being moved by a song or by a sermon. Or I'm not just checking it out when I hear someone else relating to the scripture in community group. But I'm being affected by the scripture this year. And I don't know what the best plan for you would be. I, mean, I can't just prescribe one. A lot of people like to read the Bible in a year. But other people would say, well, that's too wide. Of, I'd like to go, that's kind of broad. I'd like to read less and go a little bit deeper. So maybe you could read the New Testament in 2011. Um, there's a website, youversion.com, y-o-u-version.com, where you can get tons of Bibles for free download. You can get it on your phone, get it on your computer, get it on an iPad, whatever you read. You can get it digitally. But I went on that site a couple days ago, and they have over 50 reading plans. Some people, I don't know how to read. Uversion.com, now you know. They had 50 reading plans. I mean, how many ways can you read the Bible? Well, they had over 50, 58, or I don't know what it was. Some of them were brief, how to read this much in five days. 
I don't know if that just involves getting, you know, holing up in a retreat somewhere and reading 24 hours a day. I don't know. But they had how to read a section in five days, how to read a gospel in seven days. But they had a lot on how to read the New Testament in a year, reading plan for the Bible in a year, chronological, a little bit of New Testament, Old Testament, and a psalm. I mean, all these kinds. So just get on there and look or some other way. God, how do you want me? Prepare for 2011. Don't just show up. Let's not just show up in 2011. I don't know. I think I should buy a Bible. But let's prepare and, and ask God, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me ponder your word in the coming year? So you hit the year starting with a, a way that you will treasure the gospel and treasure the scripture because this is really the key to growth. What she's talking about here, this is the primary key to growing as a Christian is to think about, to read, to think about, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to meditate, to take a chapter, three verses, one verse, one word, whatever it is, and meditate and think about it and consider the person and work of Jesus Christ and have our heart changed into his image as we then go and apply what we learn. So that's, that's really key, treasuring, pondering. Look how the shepherds respond. They respond by glorifying. We could say glorifying. Verse, uh, verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So what do the shepherds do after Christmas? I just love this. They return. That's what it says. They return. Simple verb. They return. What does that mean? I think it means they go back where they lived. I think it means they go back to what they were doing. They go back to shepherding. They didn't write a book. They didn't film a documentary. They didn't get a reality show. Shepherds who met Jesus or something. You know, They just go back and hang out with sheep, presumably. I mean, we don't ever encounter them throughout you know, one of them doesn't become an apostle or anything like that. We don't read about, none of them write books of the Bible. They just return. And as they return, they are glorifying and praising God. So they return, but post-Christmas, they return changed. They return as changed individuals who are communicating the good news, who are sharing what they have seen, what they have heard, as it has been told them. So what was told them? Today a Savior is born from the angels. The angel told them that that's truth. That's gospel truth. So they took what they heard. They took what they saw, Jesus, what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. And they went and they told that message. And they glorified God for that message. They praised God that they had seen what was reported. The shepherds in some ways are like the first human evangelists. I mean, there's angels out evangelizing and saying today a Savior is born. They're preaching the good news. But these guys are the first ones kind of to share the good news because they're telling people that the Savior's born. And it says people are wondering and Mary's treasuring. But they're out telling the message. They're the first evangelists, as far as I can think of. Um, I didn't think about this super carefully, but I think they're the first evangelists in the Gospels that are out once Jesus is born. They are telling the message. They're reporting. And they are giving glory. <coughs> Excuse me. They're giving glory to God. They're celebrating Him. They're honoring Him. So what do we do? 
Look at the shepherds, how they respond. How do we respond once the gifts are opened and the feast is feasted, is had, and things are going back to normal? Well, we return. We return to our lives, but having considered Christ, meditated on His coming, considering why He came to give His life to die for our sins, we return glorifying God and praising God. Ordinary, common folk going back to a normal life. We spend a lot of time, and this is appropriate, I did it. I mean, I, I brought this message twice in the last week. We spend a lot of time talking about the shepherds encountering the angels and how glorious and powerful that is. But most of their life is not list, lived in angelic visitations. Most of lives lived with the sheep out being a shepherd, just doing normal stuff. And they return to that as those who are glorifying and those who are praising God. Normal life. And so when you prepare to re-engage in normal life, some of us tomorrow, um, if you work in a marketplace, actually if you're a mom, you, you just never stopped. It's just all normal life. This was just chaotic normal life. But for those who work in the marketplace, so we honor you, seriously, thank you, because you often don't get the break that others get. But if you work in the marketplace, you know, tomorrow maybe you return, or maybe a week from tomorrow, or maybe midweek, you're going to re-engage at some point. I, I think we just return. We just re-engage, but we re-engage as those who've been affected by Christ. May we re-engage as those who are glorifying and praising God as they did. May we re-engage not just with a few more trinkets and a few more pounds, and man, that was a party. Yeah, it was a great time. Saw Grandma and it was wonderful. I had a Christmas musical and my kids sang a solo and wow, it was wonderful. Great, great Christmas break. But may we return as those who've encountered Christ and we return glorifying him and how was Christmas? Well, God met me in a fresh way and I'm still pondering what that all means. I'm still treasuring the truth that he came. I don't want to stick it in the attic, in the box with the decorations and the lights. I want him living in my heart to return back where I have and having encountered the Lord glorifying him. I love it that he uses the word glorifying him as well. That means that the shepherds returned glorifying. They returned bringing glory to God. And you know, they can do that without making announcements. They can do that in the field. Matter of fact, most of life is in the field. I loved Christmas Eve here. That was the candles, the candlelight. Nobody burned down the building. There are wax deposits all over the place we're going to have to deal with that we weren't prepared for in the carpet. But I absolutely love that. It was beautiful. Oh, holy night. The candles are going. Everybody's anticipating the next day. We're singing these hearts full, full of our, with full hearts. The children are here, you know, nestled together. Guests are here, standing room only. I love that. But that's just not normal life for most of us most of the time. Normal life is when the alarm clock goes off and, oh, we got to return. How are we going to return? How are we going to return? We have an opportunity to return glorifying and praising God. And you know what? You can glorify God. Not only can you, but we are called to glorify God like the shepherds in the field. We return glorifying means whatever I'm returning to do, I want to glorify the Lord in that. How can I please the Lord by being diligent in what God's called me to do, my calling in the marketplace, my calling in the home, my calling in the church, my calling in the family, my calling in the neighborhood, my calling wherever, all the various callings that we have, the responsibilities that we have, we engage those 
with a goal towards pleasing God by being a good father or mother. Pleasing God by being a good son or daughter. Pleasing God by good, being a good employee. Pleasing God by being a good uh, supervisor. Pleasing God by being a good neighbor. Pleasing God by being a good uh, point guard on the basketball team. Pleasing God by being a good student at school. We glorify God for Him having rescued us in Jesus Christ so that we're living a different life with a purpose and a calling for His glory. I love the moments, and may there be many of them, like the candlelight service. Love it! But may we return glorifying God so that whatever we do, we return in this new year with a fresh view. I'm treasuring the Savior. I'm pondering what He's done. And I want there to be meaning infused in what I'm doing, whether it's talking over the fence to my neighbor, whether it's working on a project at work, whether it's changing another diaper again. We just changed you again. This is impossible. No child can do that again. Are you kidding? Whether we're doing that again, waking up with a baby in the middle of the night, having a conversation with a teenager, repairing the car, whatever it is, for the glory of God. So they return to, for them, the marketplace, the home, glorifying God and praising Him as well. And I assume, when it says glorifying and praising for all that they've seen and heard, they're also recounting the story. I mean, I find it, again, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but I find it hard to believe that if they were believers, and I think they are, I find it hard to believe that they would have just gone back to life glorifying and praising God and never retelling the story. I just got to believe they told that story. And when everybody's going around and they're telling, hey, great stories and experiences they've had, I mean, this is a story. God sends angels that announce the coming of the Messiah to us. That, that's pretty significant. But here's the message. As they share that story, they are a witness to those who don't know Christ. They're a witness that the Savior has come, the long-expected one. They're going, they're praising and they're glorifying makes them light in the darkness. They're the first evangelists telling people who wonder and confirming with Mary and Joseph by telling them the message of the gospel as well, which they had already heard, but retelling it to them. If the idea of treasuring and pondering by going through the Gospel of John, if that applies this next year, this does as well. Because here's really the theme of the Gospel of John, kind of setting up that a little bit. But here's the theme in many ways of the Gospel of John. In John 20, Jesus says this. This is at the end of his ministry. He says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. The word sent, I, I, can't, I, I saw the number, I can't remember how many it is, but the word send or sent is all over the Gospel of John. One of the primary designations of Jesus is he is the one sent by the Father. That's like a title. That's like Son of Man. He is the sent one. He's the one sent by the Father. So there's this self-designation by Jesus that he's come to bring salvation, sent by the Father. And then at the end of the gospel, I'm kind of giving you the end here at the beginning. At the end of the gospel, he comes back and says, just as I've been sent, I'm sending you. So all that you've seen, all that you've observed, all that you've encountered, all that you've heard taught, there's a reason for that because you're going to go out and just as I've represented the Father, you're going to represent me. You're going to live a sent life. You're going to be sent on a mission in your life. And so that's really what the shepherds do. They hear, they're sent, 
They return to their life to engage, glorifying God, praising God, talking about what God has done in his praise. And they live a sent life. And we're to live a sent life as well. So how do you respond? What's the day after? Well, if I just look at these characters, I'm I'm bound to come with these conclusions about the intent of the gospel. That when we receive the message of the gospel, which is Jesus is fully God, fully man. He lives a perfect life. He comes and gives his life for us. He dies in our place. God is holy and requires holiness of us. None of us have measured up. None of us have lived a perfectly holy life. And so we're all sinners, and we have to pay for our sin. And the penalty for our sin is to be judged and condemned by God for eternity. But God sends Jesus to die in our place so that Jesus takes our sins upon himself and is punished for our sins. That's why it's called grace. We can't earn a relationship with God. It's what he does for us. And so Jesus gives his life, dies for our sins as a substitute, is buried, is raised on the third day to defeat the power of sin, defeat the power of death. So the way our sins can be forgiven is we turn from them and want to live for the Lord and please him, and we receive. We turn from our sin, we turn to him, and we receive what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. We believe that he died as our substitute, and then we receive new life. So that's really the gospel message. And this gospel comes to them, the good news that the Savior has come, and here's what the gospel does in them. It leads to treasuring. The gospel is meant to lead to treasuring and meditating and valuing the person of Christ and his work for us in his death and resurrection. It's to lead to pondering. It's to lead to something that occupies my heart and mind, not just my calendar for an hour and a half on Sunday, but my life. And secondly, it not only leads to treasuring and pondering, it leads to glorifying. We respond and say, God, given what you've done for us, given this message, we want to glorify you in all of life. So we're going to return. We're going to leave the religious, holy, powerful moment, seeing Jesus, meeting Mary, meeting an angel. We're going to leave the powerful glory of that experience, and we're going to return. We're going to return to life, glorifying God, praising God, and seeking to live a sent life. The angels sent them. They're sent on, they're sent into the world, and we're sent that way by Christ as well. So we treasure, we glorify by living a sent life, praising Him in all of our lives. So there's a lot left probably still going on. Some of you are still celebrating. Some of you may still be getting with some relatives. Some of you may still be, uh, you know, have some time off and whatever. You may not be re-engaging yet. But this word this morning is to help us think through what's just happened and now how we engage with God, with one another, with our jobs, with our callings, and with people that don't even know Him. And we glorify the one who came this time. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.